0: All right, let's see if I can remember how to use this studio. It's been a while. (laughs) Okay, I pushed that button over here. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast that believes pumpkin spice lattes are a sign of character weakness and a profiling tactic used by Starbucks. It is the Pack Filler Podcast. Pat Bulger, right here. I'm messing with the volume, trying to bring it down. There it goes. There it goes. I bet you guys didn't even hear that intro. It was brilliant. Well, probably not brilliant, but it'll work, right? Oh, it's been a while. I've been doing those live shows, so this is interesting being back in the studio. Of course, the show, once again, as usual, brought to us by help from our friends at Noon Hydration. NoonLife.com is the website, or you can go to PackFiller.com and click on the link to go to NoonLife.com because I think that's probably better for me in the long run. I'm not sure, but... I'm supposed to say hashtag noon life at the end of all my posts and I've been really crappy about that. But noon has still been pretty good to me and they've been taking care of things. They actually brought out, uh, sent me out some prizes for the, for the live shows and we've been able to give that out. And that's been great. Thank you to noon for being a part of that. You guys are good people. And I, if you have not had the cherry lime energy drink, two of those bad boys per day and I get past that three o'clock lull, I've been doing them every day. I hope that's okay. Yeah, it's healthy stuff, right? Also, thanks to our friends at Honey Stinger. Check them out at honeystinger.com. Waffles, people. Waffles. Thanks to everyone, speaking of which, who've been coming out to the live shows. Let me know what you think of the four They've been really fun. The most recent one at Peddler Brewing in Seattle, Washington was truly a cat herding experience. If you heard that one, I had three guys with plenty of attitude on microphone. And uh the beer lubrication definitely helped. And you get them in front of a crowd and and they just wanted to treat it like it was crazy. And so it took me a while to kind of get everything under control, but boy, once we got it under, it was it was pretty fun. Um our next live show back at River City Brewing in Spokane, Washington, a little Methlehem, great beer, awesome cycling-themed tap room. It is honestly the tables have are basically they're glorified disc wheels. Basically, it's the it's the de- table service uh, surface. Sorry, and then a, a rim and tire around the edge of it, and it, it's pretty damn creative. And my wife even said they were cool. And I know she probably wouldn't let me do it in the house, but it is pretty cool. So um, uh, be sure and check that out. November 5th, 5 o'clock. Topic going to be focusing around life from the local bike shop perspective. Funny guest trivia. Prizes for the smart members of the audience who are able to pick a winner and uh, choose which person they think is going to win trivia. So be sure and uh, come by. Come visit us. If you're not in Spokane, listen to the show. Send us thoughts of what you think of the new live format and uh, any guest ideas. So there we are. You guys, I have a confession to make. I have not been training. I have not been riding. I have not been racing. And I really haven't even cleaned my bikes as of late. I said it. I don't even, I don't know what's wrong. My wife says I desperately need to get back on the bike because I'm grumpy when I get home from work. But the days are getting shorter. I really am not very good at cyclocross. And the indoor trainer looks about as fun as a dental chair. Somebody help me. I need uh, it's it's that lull. Because you know, you got a long winter ahead of you, and there's nothing really to overly train for. But you know, you got to put in the time to be ready to get for the spring. And beer tastes really good this time of year. I do have something to train for, however. And it's completely petty what I want to train for. You see, I want to beat one specific person at our local Wednesday night series next year. He's the guy who won the series ahead of me. Nice enough guy. But between you and me, I don't think he knows when he's kind of being a dick. He's the kind of guy who will come up to you after a race and say, you know, Hey man, good race. You know, I, I, I thought you were going to come around me and lead for a while. I thought you were strong, you know, that kind of stuff. And he thinks that's funny. Dude, we I thought you were, I thought we were going to ride off together. Let's go, man. And you're just looking at him going um fuck you. <laughs> and like I said, he's a nice enough guy, but I just now my goal is just to beat him. Is that petty? Or is that my competitive nature? Oh, you guys, speaking of training, today's show is the long-awaited talk with Tom Danielson. You probably know Tom from his days on Discovery and Garmin, winning Tour of Utah, eighth place in the Tour, eighth place in the Vuelta. Tom, as, as many of you know probably also, it's no new news, was hit with a doping suspension and rather than take an extended wrap, basically, um, decided to retire. And um, it's it's far more detailed than that. And it seems like things are starting to come to light even more in regards to that. I don't have a whole lot of the facts, and so I'm not going to t- spread any type of fake news. But when I first started talking with Tom about coming on the show, he, he was rightfully hesitant about coming on the show. He was rightfully hesitant about um, having a show that discussed his past and and some of those things that I'm sure at the time were fairly sensitive issues and sensitive wounds going on for him. God knows there are a lot of a-holes out there who just want to troll him and yell at him. And so I told Tom at the time I would stay away from the topic. And he listened to a couple of the other episodes of the show and got an idea of what, what was going on, what the show was like. Yeah, we do talk about doping on the show, but... I'm not going to attack a guest on the show. I want them to feel comfortable to talk about what they want to talk about, to bring out some issues that make cycling great, right? And that was about a year ago when I talked to Tom about that. Time passed. We scheduled times to make it work. It didn't work. Um, I was going to have him originally on that first live show as a phone guest, but the more I thought about it, how many people want to sit in a bar and watch another guy talk to another guy over the phone? Probably not as exciting. And so it, things didn't happen, and um, we talked about maybe making it happen, you know, and his schedule got crazy. My schedule would get crazy and things like that, but eventually we made this interview happen. happened a couple days ago. I didn't talk to Tom about the content of the interview again, and I assumed he felt the same way as he originally did, so I stayed away from the issue and all my prep for the interview. You'll notice in the interview, you guys, no spoilers, that Tom is in a much better place than he might have been when we first started talking about things. He brought up the issue. He seems much more comfortable talking about it. He seems like he's moved on, and he seems to be doing great. This podcast hosts personal opinion. This guy is infectious. His passion for the sport is obvious. He has a lot to talk about, and he has a lot to offer. He's, for lack of a non-cheesy term, he's, he's conquered the demons, I guess you could say. So I'll, I'll, I'll let you be the judge on this one. Give the interview a listen. Going with an open mind and see what you think. I, was, I came away really happy with the discussion. So without further ado, Tom Danielson on the Pack Filler. Okay, you guys, today's guest spent his career at the forefront of American cycling. His consistent strength and talents as a GC rider earned him multiple victories, including two tours of Utah, record time up Mount Evans, and top 10 finishes in both the Tour de France and the Vuelta a España. He's now the force behind Cinch Coaching. Let's please welcome to the show Tom Danielson. Tom, how are you?
1: I'm good. Thanks for thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely, man. Hey, I'm not, I'm not going to lie here. I, I'm pretty formulaic when I start to do these shows with interviews, and I like to kind of get an idea of history and perspective of, of the people who were involved. Um, how did you come into the sport of cycling how did you find it was it something that you were uh, we've had athletes who have been they've had a history in, for example you know another sport and then they started cycling to get involved or do they just kind of fell into it from a family history
1: yeah I mean I got it I got involved with cycling uh as as kind of a secondary thing you know I was into to motocross first I I you know got into dirt bikes and uh, my dad got me into that. I would, I would ride with him and you know, the more I did that, uh, the better I got and, and, you know, I got to the point where it was time to, to race and, and time to go fast. And at that point, my parents were like, I don't, I don't really feel like we want you to do this anymore. <laughs> and, uh, they kind of put the kibosh on it and I looked to the next closest thing and that was a mountain bike. So I picked up a mountain bike, um, and it was, it was pretty strange cause it was like the first time. I was really good at something, you know? So I, yeah, 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 I was good at dirt bikes, but, um, you know, mountain bikes was just like, it was just like, holy shit. Like I'm, I, I'm good at this, you know? And I went to my first race and I got second. And then the next race after that, I, I won. And it was like the first time in my life that like people were like asking me questions about me and, you know, so wow. I was just, it was just strange. I was always on the other side of it. And, you know, that was like sort of my entrance to, uh, you know, having uh, having, you know, something special about me that interests other people. So that's kind of how it took off for me was was in the sport of mountain biking.
0: Now, what what age was that when you first started doing that?
1: I think I was about 14. Oh, wow. Something like that.
0: Okay. Because I, I'm uh, upon kind of, you know, stalking you in your career and stuff like that. You had victories in the 2001 and 2002 collegiate mountain bike championships. Was there a plan to stay in the dirt or was the road eventually where you wanted to go?
1: Yeah. I mean, my, my whole mountain biking, you know, starting as a, as a kid, um, you know, I, I, I won a lot. I won almost pretty much like all the races that I did. Uh, back in New England, got on uh, this team. Was called Rockshox Devo Team, yeah. which was like uh, in the mountain bike heyday. It was a development team, and they had a budget probably more than most domestic pro road teams do nowadays. So <clears throat> you know the sport was booming. I got on this on this team, and you know raced nationally, won a lot of national races, went to world championships, did well. <laughs> um, you know, all across the the board in mountain biking, went to college in, in Fort Lewis College in Durango, Colorado. And like for me there, I went there, you know, number one, because my parents, you know, forced me to go to college. So I, <laughs> I picked a place where I could ride my mountain bike. But, you know, the focus for me was to to turn that into a professional career. You know, I really wanted to to become successful um, on the mountain bike and and be, be a professional. But you know things things changed for me when i got there you know i got to college and i had given up my social life when i was yeah. um you know in high school to to train on my mountain bike and i you know i didn't pay attention to girls or or anything <laughs> like that and uh and socializing and and when i got to college it was like i had that image that people were interested i thought i was cool because i had already been you know this this sponsored successful mountain biker nationally ranked mountain biker and I, I gave up on training. I gave up on on focus, and um, you know, went most of my college career uh, not training, getting my ass kicked, but you know, <laughs> just having fun as a as a college kid. And the last uh, two years of college, I decided that you know, it's time. It was go time. Um, you know, I, I needed to make or break my my cycling if I was gonna, you know, if I didn't make it happen by the end of college, I was gonna have to get a real job. So yeah. you know. Uh, hustled and, and, you know, put, put a lot of training together, got up at, at four in the morning, rode in the wintertime, you know, out the door by 4.30, mm-hmm. got in, big rides uh, all during the week, did my training. And, you know, that was kind of that first breaking breakthrough for me to get back in the scene was when I won those two collegiate national titles. Um, so kind of funny story from that point on, I, I had every intention of becoming a professional mountain biker again. Um, and I decided that I would go and do tour of the Gila. Um, I would go there with the intention of kicking butt, you know, (laughs) and hopefully get noticed by pro road teams. But, you know, in the back of my mind, I I felt like I was a mountain biker and I felt like that was, you know, where I would end up, you know, maybe I'd get some sponsorship on the road, but maybe I would do both road mountain bike. I don't know. But to answer your question in a long way. I did not at all plan or want to be a pro road racer. It really wasn't until things started to click for me and it just suited me so much better. You know, being a, a small guy on mountains, on climbs, um, you know, yeah. it, it just fit me perfect. And, and I performed well at uh, Tour of the Gila and that's where it all started for me. So Got my first uh, contract there.
0: So that was, at Tour of the Gila right there was the one that we're, it, it that transition happened.
1: Yep. Yep, really, exactly.
0: So and and so the first team was
1: uh, Mercury. I, I okay. uh for Mercury. I don't know if you guys remember that, but that was yeah. like a big hit squad in the U.S. Oh God, uh, yeah,
0: really, really, uh awesome team. Absolutely, yeah. Oh my God, yeah. That was that was you know towards when when I, it almost seemed like we were going from one level to the next as far as development in in, in United States cycling kind of grew, and that was kind of that beginning of that next phase. Yep. So the life of a pro, um, for for those of us on the other side of the fence, seems pretty damn romanticized. Um, And, you know, what we outsiders think go on is probably not very close to the reality. Um, So what... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, we, we, you know, I, grew, I grew up as a kid watching the Tour de France, you know, with John Tesh soundtracks or something like that. Um, and so, what was life like as a pro? I mean, was it the 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 beauty and the joy that I, I seem to romanticize at, or was it a lot more difficult and a lot more hard miles?
1: Yeah. I mean, you ask a good question. I'm going to give you two good answers. Right. So okay. the first uh, the first answer to that is, you know, when you first get in there, <clears throat> when you first get in uh, as a pro, you know, it seems amazing. Right. You're you you see all the value of it. Right. Yes. You see the the kits. Right. We all know the importance of the kit. Yeah. Right. I mean, even today. Right. Like you're you are basically identified to the world by your kit. You know, yeah. like People need the kit, right? Even if you're not on a team, you know you can print up a kit with a some sort of business on it that that you 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 either go to or you believe in or whatever, and that's sort of your identity. So
0: not that me, I I don't have any idea what you're talking about. The, yeah. pack, fil- the pack filler kit everybody wears.
1: Yeah, like <laughs> like we all want to stand out from our kit, so yeah. that was the first thing you know I I got into. Right? It was like holy shit, I have this pro kit. You know, and I remember. Um, you know, getting that and just being so fired up to go ride everywhere to show everyone like my shiny pro kit, you know, I didn't give it, I didn't give a shit that I wasn't earning any money, right? Like I made barely any money my first year as a pro, but I had a kit, right? And that's yeah. all I needed. So, you know, that was kind of the starting point for me of the pro experiences, you know, that, you know, that glorified kit had it, it was pro, right? Only a few people could have wear that Yeah. and I had it. So I was stoked. Um, the next thing that's really awesome besides the kit is obviously the equipment. Yeah. So you get, uh, you get equipment, right? And when you first turn pro, you're blown away by the equipment you get. You get massive amounts of kits. You get massive amounts of uh, you know, helmets and sunglasses and shoes and whatever else you need. But then you, you, know, you get bikes, right? So you get a race bike and a training bike and you know, sometimes a spare race bike. And, and depending on like the level of team you are, you know, when I was on Garmin, you know, and the Tour de France, I had like, you know, eight bikes. Shit. So, you know, at during the Tour de France. So, like, you know, it's cool to have a lot of equipment. I, I think it's, it, it's it's exciting for sure when you, you join on. Um, the next exciting part of being a pro is is the travel. You know, you go from uh, driving yourself around and, and doing a few races <laughs> a year to, you know, Hustling and bustling and, and being a jet setter, right? You're yeah. always on the go. You're always going places, whether it's sponsor uh, You know things that you have to do whether it's uh, traveling to to races training camps uh, You name it you're in the airports and it's cool at first, right? You're you're yeah. totally you're totally pumped You're you're just on top of the world um, Then obviously the cool thing is the races, you know, you're no longer at these races where you're just one of many you know, you're, you're the, you're the show, right? You're, yeah. you're what everyone, you're the prime time. Everyone's there to see you. So, you know, you have people that are on the sidelines without bike racing clothes on, right? They're, they're, <laughs> they've come to watch you. So that's pretty cool, right? Is you're, you're at these races. There's people that are, you know, genuine fans. They're not people that raced earlier or racing after you and they're watching you. So yeah. that's exciting. And then you're on these courses that gen- generally the roads are closed. So you have the whole road. Um, You have uh, all kinds of opportunities, you know, to to move all over the road corners. You can take them fast. So that's another cool thing. Yeah. Um, You know, one of the things that I'll never forget, uh, of course, is like, you know, the the traffic around the race and the traffic in the race. Right. So that's like the team cars and the motorcycles and the TV, you know, motorcycles and helicopters and stuff like that. Um, That was something that I I really never, you know, got bored of or I never, you know, dulled out. Right. Like I always got excited when I heard the helicopter, always got excited with the team cars back there. um, You know, when you go back to get bottles or come back from a flat. Um, And it's it's exciting to be in the front of the race with the TV cameras all over you and following you know, the lead motorcycle down the downhills and stuff like that, you know, even, even though when they do crash, it sucks, but you know, <laughs> it is, it is cool that to, to have that, um, you know, and then of course there's a few other things, you know, you have massage, you have, uh, your food all taken care of. You have a, uh, usually a like in the latter years, you know, you have your own chef. Um, so, you know, I'd say that, that a lot of the things that people think of pro cycling, you know, it, it's there, right? Like yeah. it is awesome. It is a really cool experience. Um, and I'm really proud to have gone through it. Um, one thing that, uh, you know, a lot of people don't really realize, I guess, is that that perspective changes yeah. being a professional athlete. So um, this is something that I think everyone needs to hear. And I definitely, you know, you know, being on both sides of it, understand much clearly now more clearly now but you know you kind of get in that environment where there's a lot of people like complaining right like they're excited at first but then they're like oh my gosh you got to go to another airport and you know oh my 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 spare bike doesn't have uh, this on it or you (laughs) know i only have one home bike or you know they gave me the crappy airline ticket you know or whatever i don't like this person for massage you know the list goes on and on and on and and, it, and there are a lot of people in that Peloton that take it for granted. You know, they take this shit for granted and it's disgusting. And, and and now that I've been on both sides of it, right, where I was in it, now I'm not, I look back and it's like, you know, that shit was awesome, right? Like being a pro cyclist was awesome. You know, like, yeah, okay, we're not NBA, we're not whatever, but people don't like pay whatever, hundreds of dollars for tickets and all this stuff, right? Yeah. It's pro cycling, it's different but it's still awesome. And I think that, you know, that's something important that the viewers should hear. And this podcast is that, you know, it is awesome inside that world. It is super cool, right? It is a privilege. And I'll repeat that again. It is a privilege to be a professional athlete It is a privilege to have that opportunity. Wow. I think a lot of guys out there forget that they forget that it's a privilege. They think that they earned it or they, they, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's just, it just happens. They're so good. It just happens. Like, no, man, right. that's an opportunity, right? That you're given by a team, a sponsor, whatever. Take a chance on you. Give you this opportunity. You perform. It's a privilege. So I think that that's, that's an important you know thing for everyone to hear, that it's awesome and it's a great time. But at the end of the day, right, like it's a privilege. We're, we're, yeah. You got to be thankful. You got to have gratitude for that opportunity and, and to be in that. Be talented enough. Have the the right amount of luck, work hard enough, have the things happen at the right time, and, and be in that arena of pro cycling. Are
0: there are there any riders you see in the peloton today who you think still are appreciative of that experience, or does it just because it becomes so routine that that negativity starts to creep in?
1: No, I'm not saying everyone's like that. I no, say the yeah. mi- minority is 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 like that, right? Yeah. Like I'd say like the best guys. I think that the best guys take it. They, 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 they respect it. They really, they have gratitude for their, you know, you look at guys like Chris Froome and, and Peter Sagan. and their perspective on, on pro pro cycling and cycling in general is amazing. Right. And, yeah. and that's why they're champions. And, you know, with my athletes and the people that I work with, I always like kind of give examples that people can wrap their, their head around. It's like, you know, these guys are doing it right. And, and, and like Froome and Peter Sagan. You know they don't change. Whether it's a race or it's a ride or whatever, they're stoked to be there. They don't care if they win or they don't, right? They love it. They love every minute of the racing. They love every minute of cycling. You know, you see Peter Sagan get thrown out of the Tour de France for no reason at all. He's not. He's not mad. He's not trash talking anyone, right? Like he's like, you know what? I'm bummed out, but I'm gonna go home and ride my bike. Yeah. You know, it's like great. That's awesome, right? And Chris Froome. You know, most of you guys haven't raced with Chris Froome, but you know. (laughs) When when he's in the peloton, you know, like in the tour, I've done a lot of the tours that he won, and you're looking at him, and he's just out there having a good time. Really? He's talking to his teammates, he's talking to the guys, he's zo- zooming around, he's taking risks and corners and stuff on the downhills. And It's like, dude, you're like you're winning, the, you're wearing a yellow jersey, like shouldn't you be a little bit more nervous or, or you know, ride more conservatively? And he's like, I love riding my bike. Like I'm gonna ride my bike. Like I want to ride my bike. Like I'm not gonna change it because now I'm like this great cyclist and, you know, I make a lot of money and like, you know, the, you know, the the next chapter of my life is right around that corner. When I win this race again, he doesn't think like that, you know, he he loves every minute of it. Um, so I think that, you know, the, the best guys in the sport and, and, you know, they have the right perspective and, and that perspective is what's taken them to be one of the best guys in the sport. It's not the other way around. Right. And I think that's important for people at home to, to understand that, you know, you don't become great and then start thinking like you're great. Right. Yeah. It, it's the other way around. You, you, you start thinking like you're great and then you become great. And one of those things is is being humble, is having that great perspective on who you are, what you're doing, why you're doing it. Um, the rest comes into play uh, later on
0: wow okay no no that's a that's an it that's an interesting take on it especially when you you know from, talk to somebody who has dealt with these people uh straight on and, and you, know, you you were in those in that position in your finishes and your your victories and things like that and to be able to to take it from that standpoint of you have to think you're great first and then the greatness comes um i mean i guess I guess. Never mind. I take it back. I guess that makes complete sense. The more I think about it, you know, the rest of us, who you know, for me, who is out there, who's just you know fighting to get whatever events I, I could do. I, I don't think there was ever a point in time where I ever started a race where I thought, oh, I'm I'm screwed. I'm never going to do anything here. You can't go into a race with that mentality.
1: No, and and it, it's interesting, but you'd be surprised. At, like, there's so many guys that are like, you know what? Like, I'm going to get there first. Yeah. And then I'm going to figure out like what I'm going to do with it. You know, and it's like those people never make it because if you don't have that game plan ahead of time, right? Like, and that game plan includes your outlook on your sport, what you're doing. If you're not doing it for you and you don't know why you're doing it, you're sure as hell not going to do it at a high level. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's now that I'm a coach and I'm looking at different athletes, whether they're professionals or they're not professionals. And and the majority of the people that I work with are not professionals. Right. But still it's important for them to have a game plan, know their outlook, like know their outcome. Like why, what, what, what's going to happen? Like you're doing this, what is your outcome going to be? And like, is that going to change your perspective on your life and cycling? And the answer is no. Right. So you know that's important for people to go into it, you know going into that process of of progression and overcoming things for to chase fulfillment. you know people have to understand that uh starting that
0: so you know i'm I'm gonna kinda jump ahead, we're kinda on the on some of these topics here and things like that, and a hot topic on this show recently has been the status of of road racing in the United States. Um, I, I don't know about y- your region per se, but where I am up here in the Northwest, there's a struggle. Uh, uh, road cycling is, is dealing with some definite hurdles in terms of its, its participation, in terms of its sort of events, in terms of what's going on there. Um, what, how do you see the state of American cycling as it's going right now?
1: Yeah. So that's a great question. And, you know, honestly, I haven't been asked that in a while or really at all. And but I think a lot about it. Right. Because I own a business that the focus is, you know, mostly road cycling. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my target demographic is, you know, those people that participate in those events. Right. That are that are somewhat disappearing. So, you know, I have to look at it and say, you know, why is this happening? You know, what does my, you know, what do my clients want? You know, why are they in this? And, you know, what can I do for them to to provide the right experiences? And, and, and you know, looking at my client base and, and asking them questions and seeing, right, I start to, to get the answers of, you know, why is, is road. So when you talk about road cycling, I'm assuming you're talking about road racing. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, road racing is dying, um, or, you know, it's, it's becoming smaller. And the reasons for that is, you know, the people that are, you know, growing in the sport of road cycling are really not interested in a lot of the things that the road races give the components of road racing. You know what I mean? Okay. Like, they love, right, they love, you know, challenge, they love data, they love equipment, they love um, getting stronger, they love the fitness, they love the community, they love, the, you know, the the courses, you know, seeing different places. Um, these are the key things that they love, right? Yeah. Some of the things they don't love, right, is crashing. You know, <laughs> nobody really likes that. Um, you know, other things they don't like is sort of like bad attitudes or rude people Mm -hmm. right um another thing that that they don't love right is like short races right so like uh or short rides you know most of this this demographic like if they have the weekend you know and they have it off from work and they they have time away from their families let's invest that in a good bike ride not a 30 minute crit or 20 minute crit right so when you start looking down the rabbit hole a little bit you start seeing like okay well you know they they the thing that they want from racing, people want from racing, isn't necessarily only fulfilled by racing, right? They want to be competitive. They want to ride with other people, um, but they want to be safe. They want to ride for longer, uh, and they want to be treated well. And quite frankly, a lot of these races, they don't do that, right? Like you go to these these races, the courses are, aren't very good, right? They, there's, you know, not a lot of uh, thought that goes into it. They kind of have these like parking lot crits or whatever, you know, and and, or or whatever races and and um you know and, and they're short right and you kind of have this mm-hmm. guy with a ref jersey running around with a whistle <laughs> blowing it and saying you get off the course get off the course you know you're left <laughs> you're left get the fuck off the course yeah. you suck. get off the course you know and, and then they have this like ranking system that's damn near impossible for people with jobs right because it's like you know well you're cat five and and, and you know i don't I'm not totally familiar what it is to, to get from a five to a four to a three, but I'm pretty sure that like race days are like the number one factor. Well, guess what? Like these people that they, they don't really can't really get the race days. And, and, and you know, a lot of them don't like crits and a lot of them don't like that stuff. So it's like, they do the uphill races and they do the time trials. Well, those don't actually count for upgrade points. So, yeah. you know, the system is, is getting more like, you know, kind of rude to these people. Um, and there's just a lot more opportunity for other stuff, right? Group riding is becoming extremely popular. Um, Grand Funos and these community events, they're getting super popular. So it, it's like there, there is more people doing road cycling. In fact, I think that there, there's more people at a higher level doing road cycling. But the, the need for road racing isn't the same. I think that people are beca- becoming educated enough where they know, you know, wait a second, like, you know, winning that Cat three or that cap five race on the weekend really isn't that much different in the whole like, you know, reality of of cycling as like winning my group ride on Saturday. Yeah. In fact, maybe winning my group ride on Saturday is like a better result because there's actually better guys in my field or girls in my field than on the race. So, um, you know, I, I think that that is one of the reasons why the road scene is kind of drying up a little bit or the road racing scene is drying up a little bit. Um, I also see that uh, the, the, the promoters, you know, behind those, those races. Uh, I feel like they're some, a lot of them are sort of jumping ship, right? They, they yeah. feel that trend going the other direction oh, with, yeah. with and fondos and they're just trying to jump on that. And again, and I don't think that's a smart, you know, d- you know, decision because, there's already so many grand fondos. So if you're, you know, sanctioning road races and you're like, well, wait a second, we also sanction those grand fondos too. We'll sanction your grand fondo. And yeah. you know, and the guys that are running the road races, they're saying, Oh, you're making more money in grand fondos. Well, I'll just do that too. You know, that's not gonna work because there's already so much of that. So you know, I think what people have to do to bring it back is go to the roots, find out what people love about road racing, what they love about road cycling and start designing courses that, that have this. It's that simple because anyone will go to this. If you have a friendly, exciting, safe, you know, course, 100%, right? Like we all love it, you know, no problem. But if everything is a crit that you, you know, threw together to avoid permits and road closures and all this other stuff, well no, you're probably gonna have lower attendance. Yeah. Well um, pardon
0: Part of me misses the days. I, I don't know if you were riding back then. This just shows my age. Um, back when I recall very specifically, if you had a U.S. cycling, a USA cycling uh, t- club, you had to put on a race at some point in time. But but that the problem with that is, which was great because every cycling club put on some sort of a race every year. But we've now gotten to the point where the cost and the liability and yes. and the manpower or woman power, sorry, of, of putting on an event becomes so astronomical that the only way you can justify putting on a race is a parking lot crit
1: and and exactly and and it like you know we have some clients that actually run teams that are in the same situation and like the the majority of the burden of the team is the 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 licensing and the fees that they have to pay to have the team and then to put on the race right? Which they don't make any money at, right? The money goes yeah. to the the officials and the insurance and all this other stuff. People are starting to see like, wait a second, like I can just run this team and not be a club team or whatever yeah. and not put on a race and, you know, and, and actually, you know, have a, a program without going in a hole every year. So, you know, I, I think the system has to change somehow, you know, it, there, there's just there's just too much knowledge out there. There's too many things going on you know, left, right, and center with cycling is growing yeah. so quickly that just doing the same thing that happened 20 years ago is not going to cut it. If, if, if people want to do races, they're going to have to put it in line with the way the sport's going right now, and you're not going to be able to model what you did 20 years ago, and you're not going to be able to model what the pro races, yeah. racers are doing either. It's got to be stuff that's made specific, you know, for your customers, you know, listen to those people. What do they want to do? Start making stuff for them.
0: Yeah. Well, it's funny because you mentioned in your, in your talking about being a pro rider, I remember being at those events where I was the, I I worked my way up to being the person in that, in that event that was the end of the day. I remember sitting there as a junior watching the, the, the faster races probably still in partial of my kit. Although I, I, (laughs) <laughs> Always followed the rule to get the hell out of my shorts before the you know immediately after the race was over because let's be honest that's gross but um, I remember watching that and I remember being a part of that and I remember races being predominantly um, cyclists watching cyclists and um, then I do remember some of the larger events back and you know when, probably before you were born that's how old I am but you know some of these things where these events these marquee events started to come up and that was great but the average person. Isn't going to be the type of a person who participates in that event. As a coach, as somebody who who is getting people excited about bike racing again, do you see that we are stuck in a in in some sort of a middle-aged demographic for lack of a better term?
1: I don't think it's stuck. You know, I mean, as a business, I look at it as an opportunity, right? And and it's like, you know, it's like this. You know, you kind of have to have that reality check and you, and you look at the sport and you say, you know, why are you doing this? What are you looking for? What are you chasing? Um, we start answering those questions. The direction becomes, you know, blatantly obvious where to go. Nobody's in it, right, for – or very few are actually in it for jerseys and medals and, you know, $5 prize money, right? (laughs) Everyone is in it, right, to to become better and and to have those carrots to chase, um, to have reasons for progression. Um, You know, everyone needs a purpose, and and racing for a lot of people gives a purpose. But, you know, myself included – Let's be real the bike race is the worst day or the worst ride of all of our rides. You'll do seven <laughs> rides a week and the bike race is the worst of all of them right like let's <laughs> be real so you know we don't go to the race for a great time we go to the race to justify our existence of training and and, and focus and commitment shit. right it's it just it's just shit right? It's
0: you're like, right. <laughs>
1: Yeah. So, you know, it, it's it's really that simple as, as if you realize that and then, you know, me as a coach in a business, that's been, you know, my million dollar question that I'm working on answering and creating is like, well, how do you create a sport that is seven days a week, that is uh, constant progression, that does have people hooked and addicted to, to challenges and progression and seeing results and overcoming things and, and, and growing as individuals, right? That is why we all ride our bikes. So, that is where I've been taking my business to say, "Okay, that's cool. You may race or you may not race. But let's do badass shit 7 days a week, right? We don't need the race to do badass shit. We can do badass shit in your trainer, on your trainer. You know, in your neighborhood, on your group rides, wherever, right? Like we know, I know what Tour de France level, you know, performance looks like. Now, I don't care if you do Tour de France watts, right? I don't give a shit. But I want, to see, I want to see performance. I want to see knowledge. I want to see execution. I want to see nutrition, right? I want to see all these things. I want to see focus. That's Tour de France level in your life on your one-hour ride a day Yeah. that you are making these marks. You're hitting your targets, and you're progressing. And chances are, and it works every time, when you do go to these events and races, you kick ass, right? Because you're better. You're better every day of the week. So, you know- that is what it's all about for that middle aged demographic or whatever. Right? Yeah. Like I don't, for me, I don't see age as a limit. I don't see time as a limit. I don't see gender as a limit. Right. I see all these things as things that don't affect the focus and the desire and the fulfillment that people want. And that's where the attention needs to be and creating, you know, things for those people that they can, they can target and nail, um, is the key to keeping people, you know, progressing happy and feeling fulfilled.
0: So yeah, we're, we're jumping perfectly into your motivation to start cinch and how this whole thing came about. Um, but I would like to know how that came about, but it, it also seems like this isn't just something for people who race.
1: No, I, in fact, it's not at all. And, and, you know, it, you know, I started this whole thing, you know, I, I had to pivot many times, right. You know, uh, for those of you guys that, that, uh, do or do not know my story, you know, I lost my career out of nowhere, um, for a, a, positive doping test, um, from a supplement that I took, but I was unable or I had a difficult time because, uh, you know, I had admitted to doping in my past. I was part of, uh, uh, cycling in, in, uh, you know, the early 2000s and mid 2000s. I was, I was on uh, discovery channel. Um, I made mistakes. I, uh, you know, I chose to leave that world. I started slipstream sports uh, with a with a few other riders, and I set off on on a path to to uh, participate in cycling cleanly. Um, you know, I'll, I'll just put this out there There I, I left that path because I could not handle it um, ethically. Yeah. Uh, you know, obviously it was the wrong thing to do, um, but you know, personally. Tom I, don't,
0: Tom, I don't yeah. mean to interrupt you but first of all I want I want to thank you, man. I was hesitant to kind of approach um, upon that subject. I know it was something that you you probably have personal um, issues with and things like that that you've done with and um, I, I'm, I swear to God I'm not kissing up or anything but I, thanks man for bringing that up and and, yeah, and your no, take on no, it.
1: No, no problem I mean I, I I like talking about it so um, you know I I left that world on, on my own choice. Um, but again, I, I want to just be clear that I left that world because I couldn't handle it. Okay. Um, you know, I, I, you know, it wasn't for me and I did not, you know, I was terrified for, for my health. I was terrified for myself. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, so I'm not calling myself a goody two shoes by any means. <laughs> I just couldn't handle it. Um, so moved on. I started uh, slipstream sports and we definitely changed the sport, which was awesome. Um, but ironically, uh 2015 I had a uh doping positive for uh DHEA, which was in a supplement uh that I've been taking for a long time. And uh this is really the cat and the reason why I'm telling this story is this is a catalyst to starting yeah. my business. Well yeah. Uh, you know, I lost everything. I lost my career, I lost my name. Um and while I was fighting to prove my innocence, um, I realized that, you know, I had to move on. Um, I looked at, you know, for a while there, <clears throat> I put my head in the sand, I kept training and I thought this will all go away. I'm innocent, you know, it'll work itself out. And then as I, as I started to find the cause of it, I started to, to realize the situation that I was in, right. That I had done stuff in my past. Um, and no matter what I said, no matter what I proved to people, um, I would still look like people wanted to see me. And if, if people wanted to see me as a bad person, well, you're right. Like I did do that wrong stuff in my past, right? Like I'm still that if, if that's who you think I am, then, you know, there's nothing I can say to convince you. Um, so what I ended up doing with, with my case was, uh, I took a reduced, uh, sentence, mm-hmm. but I opted not to go public and expose, uh, the cause and the people connected to my cause, um, in, or the cause of the test, uh, in public because I knew, uh, my career was already damaged. My career was already ruined. You know, there was, there was no way out. I was going to be suspended regardless, um, you know there was no, there was no hope for me really. You know, I could sink a bunch of people, um, you know, in the crossfire of, of me trying to prove my innocence. But at the end of the day, nothing would change. I wouldn't get my career back. I lost everything. Um, you know, I was screwed. I was fucked. So I made in my mind the best decision to move on. Um, and in the process of moving on, I needed to get a job.
0: Didn't shit, that's got to be a tough decision to make, though. That's got to be really tough to, to go from that to, okay, shit, now what? Holy that crap, was, man. It was,
1: it was incredibly tough, and it's even more tough when you don't have any money. So, yeah. you know, I had been through uh, a really horrible uh, divorce where I spent all of my money fighting for my kids. Okay. And uh, I had, I bet on myself, right? I, I did not. Uh, you know, ask for any money on, on that side of it. I gave, uh, a lot of my investment away and, uh, bet on myself that I'd be able to earn it back. So, uh, when it was time for me to earn it back, right. And I was in the process of it, you know, bam, I lost my career. So, oh, God. Uh, uh, you know, we were stuck with, uh, two kids and not stuck. I have two kids. We have two kids and, uh, a house that I just bought and, and Courtney and I were looking at each other and we're like, you know, what do we do? Um, (laughs) and, uh, we made a decision. We looked at each other and we thought, you know, are we going to sell the house and sit on the pot of money and, and wait for, um, you know, hope that something happens. Yeah. And, uh, or are we going to hustle? So we we looked at each other and we said, let's hustle. So, you know, we put $80,000 on the credit cards, uh, obviously trying to find the the cause of the test and, and, um, and in addition, uh, starting our business. So, um, I went around to the, to the business owners in, in Boulder area and asked them pretty much for jobs. Honestly, Uh, I said, well, you know, I, I lost my cycling career. Nobody wants me anywhere near them in cycling. So I'm going to have to get a job. Um, I have a business marketing degree and a psychology degree. I have a double major and, um, you know, I thought, well, I'll do something with marketing, I'll do something with consumer behavior or whatever. And yeah. each person that I went out to said, you need to use all your, your skills and start a business. Every single person. There wasn't one person that said, oh, I'll hire you or, or, or said, you should work here or you should work another job. Not one person, not even one. Not, really? And I went around to a lot of people. They said, your story, the stuff you have, the skills that you have, it's too good. Go start a business. So came back and, and my name was, was shit and, uh, in the cycling world. And so I had a cycling camp called Tommy D cycling escape. So we decided that our first shot at business was we were going to start or revive the camp, but couldn't use it, uh, as a, as my name. So we decided to come up with a name and, and we thought, you know, what is it all about? Well, what I do, what I did at the cycling camp was I taught people cycling. And I did it by simplifying everything that I learned uh, in my professional cycling career, um, you know, good and bad, yeah. And giving it to people a way that they can they can learn it simple. So you know, I think Courtney came up with a name, but it was like Cinch. We'll call it Cinch, s- slang for simple. So <laughs> we called the cycling camp Cinch, and away we went, right? So you know, I w- went around and and hustled and bustled and asked people to come to our cycling camp, and you know, of course, there was a lot of hate. Uh, out there initially people, you know, recognized that it was my business and they were saying I was a piece of shit and I should go kill myself. But I still, I still tried. Right. And, you know, we had enough people that went to our cycling camp to, you know, make enough money to pay our mortgage, which was our, our first obstacle. Right. Because we were putting all of our expenses that weren't the mortgage on credit cards, but, um, we were paying, we had to pay our mortgage, uh, with, um, with real money. So I had to <laughs> put all that into the, into the house to keep us afloat. But the interesting thing was is while I was hosting people in the cycling camp, um, people would, there was all the same demographic. They were all 40 to 65 years old. Um, they were all really successful people in their businesses and their families. Uh, they either owned businesses or they were uh, executives within yeah. them. Same people were coming in the door and, and I wasn't doing anything for marketing, right? No targeting, just putting it out there. Same type of people came in there and it was like we connected mentally right on the same wavelength. It was like, you know, okay, you're awesome in your business world and I'm a professional athlete. Like we they had the same way of thinking as as I did. So eventually these people asked me, OK, will will you help? Will you coach me at my home? And at the time I thought like like I hated the name coach, right, because like, (laughs) you know, well, like in cycling, like oh, yeah. coach is just such bullshit, right? Like, you know, like people think coaching is like handing someone like, you know, a sheet of paper with a bunch of workouts on, well, right? Like, and, and Thank for you, me, because
0: I, that was something I was going to be, uh, I was going to lead to asking about, you know, the, the value of a coach. You know, I, I grew up with coaches, yes, but a lot of it was just like, get out and fucking ride.
1: Yeah, so I mean, I was pissed, right? People were saying like, oh, you coach, and I was like, well, fuck the name coach, but, you know. <laughs> I'll I'll help you with your training, you know. Yeah. But I'm not coaching. I'm <laughs> I, like I'm, you know. So I, I started doing it, and um, you know, meanwhile, like, so I started earning some income. And I, you know, I said like I had a few people at first. And I said, you know, I'm gonna have to charge you. Yeah.
0: <laughs> like yeah.
1: <laughs> l- like I'm gonna I'm gonna have to get some money. You know, like I'd love to do this for free, but I'm gonna have to charge you because I don't have any money. Yeah. And they were like, yeah, sure, that you know, no problem. We'd love to pay you. Like you're awesome. So I was, I was like flattered by that it was just so <laughs> exciting right and now people are paying me and they seem to like what i'm doing and before i know it right like i'm going around still trying to market the cycling camp and people are like hey i heard you're doing coaching really well yeah but i'm doing this ride like this <laughs> camp in colorado you should go to that like but do you do coaching? I'm like, (laughs) it's not fucking coaching, man. (laughs) I help people with their training. (laughs) And, uh, and, and, and so, yeah. So I, 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 like before we knew it, you know, we were our, this is like whatever last year, um, right around July. And we, we had like, you know, 15, 20 people that I was coaching and it was like, or helping with training. And, um, so we, at that point I decided and Courtney and i decided to pivot right we said like fuck the camp we're out of here um we'll still do it yeah but we're, we're we're coaching now you know so we changed kind of our um tune a little bit in the public and 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 started you know aggressively or not aggressively but at least like you know going out in public and talking about coaching and, and so honestly like this is an important part of the story this was really hard because you know I was terrified to go in the public, right? Because I had all these people sending me hate on the internet. Yeah. And I had no choice. I needed to earn a living. So where do you go if you're marketing your, you know, yourself and your brand, right? I don't have any money to pay for marketing. So it's like I have to use myself. So like I had to go out there with those people and I didn't know which ones were sending me horrible messages and I didn't know which ones were 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 fans and believe me, I didn't know. But I I I I sucked it up, you know, and Courtney inspired me. She said, get out there, right? Like just be yourself, right? And yeah. so this is an important lesson for people to 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 take from this podcast is like, you know, the number one thing that I learned from this whole experience is just be yourself, right? Like when in doubt, be yourself. Like just be yourself, right? So that was the turning point for me was when I just walked out of my door and I was just me, right? Like I was me in my training camp and people loved it. But I was terrified to be me like in public because I thought everyone hated me. So I just went out and I went on these group rides and I just talked to people and I said like, I helped them, I gave them advice and I loved every minute of it. People could see that before we knew it, right? Like, we were growing quickly. We were having all these people that said, I want to be part of this. I want to be part of what you're doing. I love it. Um, so, you know, before we knew it, we had a, a, a decent size business of coaching people. And at that time, I started to understand what the term coaching meant, right? And yeah. I, the re- way I did that, obviously, uh, or not obviously, but the way I did it was I looked around to like what I considered like, people that were successful in coaching. And I looked in the business world, you know, I saw, well, people really value business coaches, right? They pay a lot of money. They, you know, life coaches, people really Hell, value yeah. that. Um, what are they doing? What, what are they doing differently that a cycling coach is is not doing? So I, I looked in that world, I, I researched, I talked to business coaches, I hung around with them. I, I, I basically went out to anyone that would talk to me and I would buy them dinner and I would ask them four million questions. And the cool thing was, is that we were attracting a lot of high-level people, a lot of high-level business and executive uh, people to our business. So I would just, you know, while I was talking to them about their training and stuff, I would just ask them about their life. I'd ask them about, you know, their business. I'd ask them about things they do, the processes they have, the strategies they use. I'm trying to, And i write it all down. I have all these notebooks. Anywhere I am, I just write stuff down, right? I listen and I write, listen and write, listen and write. Um, and then I got to the point where I would like, in the workouts, I would start asking people all these questions, and I, and I would get these really cool responses, and I saved every single response. Well, what I did with all of that information was I started designing the program that fit my people, right? So I started off with, you know, it's kind of the tools to make people better at cycling. Yeah. But then I listened to, like, why they're doing it, why they're training, what they hope to get out of it, you know, how it's changing. And, and, and so the cycling part that I was doing with people started to change their lives. They started to perform better in their businesses. They started to perform better in their families. They started to feel better about themselves, right? I started to realize that, like, you could create, you know, happiness essentially from your experiences on your bike, right? It's a Fulfillment is a human need. And we can go and get that on a daily basis with cycling. So, you know, long story short, that is my story. That is how, uh, you know, Cinch came about is, you know, definitely the wrong time for something like this but i had the right formula right and part of the right formula was just be you doesn't matter what people say or what you know people think happened or whatever the truth always comes out and if you really are a good person and you really have good stuff you have a good product you really care comes out and Mm. there's no better way than than doing that by just going and being around people
0: so tell me who Cinch is available for. I mean, is this something that that it needs to be a face to face type of an organization, or is or do you deal with people all over the place?
1: Yeah. So so Cinch is for um, you know our, our primary focus is is really the person that is balancing uh, work and family, right? Okay. The, the person that doesn't have a lot of time, um, and but they they are you know they have that mindset that they they really want to be pushed, they want to be challenged. They want to see progression. Um, you know, they they want to become a better person at, as well as a better cyclist. You know, that's okay. kind of the focus of my program. It's for all abilities, but I will say that um, I am, you know, super intense. So you probably get it from the podcast. But you know, when I get in there, like I'm in there, right? Like I don't care what it is, how little time you have, you know, all the th- I, you know, you can give me every excuse possible but I want to help and I will help. So you have one day a week to ride. Well, I'm going to make that one day. Awesome. And then I want to hear you tell me about that one day, you know? Um, so, you know, that is, that is, you know, sort of my philosophy. That, that's yeah. how I, that is how I am super intense. You know, I don't expect any sort of, you know, high ability or whatever. Um, all I want is, is people that, that want it right. They want to change. They want to get, they want to push themselves. They want to grow. Um, and then they want to give back to their business and and to their family. Um, That's super, super important for the, for the location thing. um, You know, obviously I'm in Colorado and uh, we, I started with, you know, my first, actually my first clients were not local, but you know, we, you know, just being here, right. You know, we, we've grown pretty decent size here, but you know, The the funny thing is is that, you know, I've had to build my business to be really awesome online because um even the local clients, they don't have time to meet, right? Like Mm -hmm. they have one hour to ride at five in the morning, you know, and and they don't want me in their house at five in the morning, right? Like, like, (laughs) you know. Like, like, like they want their, they have this one hour to ride at five in the morning, you know, they have their schedule, whatever. So it turns out that even the local ones, it, being local really isn't a factor, right? So, you know, for me, you know, being accessible is the factor, right? Yeah. Being present is the factor. Um, you know, so I've built so many cool components to my program to, you know, add as much things going on and adding experiences, you know, besides just the training, to make it feel like, you know, we are always interacting, we all well, we are always interacting, but to make it feel like I am there, you know, like to to so people know that that I'm following and I'm participating. Um, and, and, and the same thing, right? To give them the tools to share all those things with me, um, so I know that they're participating and following.
0: Wow. Okay. So, so it is. It it is something that you can branch out and it can be available. But it is. It is a very obviously a personal thing. When when we talk about coaching, I mean, as you said, I was so glad you mentioned it was something more than just I'm going to send you a written training program and that's going to be it. And I might check in with you a follow up call or something along those.
1: Yeah. So I mean, I can kind of I, I could talk about this all day. And, yeah. But you know, like really the, the, the focus of, of the cinch program is this concept and I call form, right? So mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. we were, or when I was a tour de France writer, and I'm sure you guys hear it all the time on the, on the you know TV or whatever, when you're in peak physical condition, they call it form, right? This yeah. guy's got amazing form. Oh, I've got great form. I'll look at Valverde. he's on form, right? So form is, really when everything comes together, right? It has nothing to do with your threshold test and all this other bullshit, right? It's when everything aligns, right? So for me, it's there's four pillars to cinch form. So that's our program. I call it the cinch form program, four pillars. The first one's focus, so that's essentially your mindset. So there's all different uh, techniques and patterns and things you can do with your mindset um, to have the best workouts to perform the best after your workouts take those to your business take those to your family so the cool like athletic Tour de France you know athlete mindset right or focus works everywhere so I spend a lot of time and attention on that uh, on that mindset which I call focus the second pillar of form is fitness so that's the one everyone talks about but I do it a little differently there are 10 zones in my program and my 10 zones are, I call them the powertrain, so they are actual performance zones. So powertrain, like a transmission, like in a Formula One car. So I create yeah. these these zones that are actual things that you do in cycling. So it's not a training zone; it's an actual thing that you do, like a curveball, you know, fastball, whatever. Well, each zone is a you know physiological thing that happens, but it turns out that it's a action that you would do in a race or in a hard ride. So people are building these zones, but in the training, they're they're not only, you know, strengthening them or increasing them, but they're practicing them. So they know, oh, well, if I'm on this climb and this guy attacks, I know I can cover it with this zone for this amount of time. So it's really cool. It becomes, you know, this sort of educational and strategic piece where people are getting stronger, but they're learning these speeds that they have in their transmission that they learn how to shift and how to use um, with what RPMs, with what intensity, with what whatever, uh, to be able to do it. The third uh, pillar is execution. So this is huge, right? So many people are strong, but they don't know what to do with it. So execution is everything from the actual strategy that you use, and strategy can be everything from Picking a good route for your workout Mm -hmm. could be, you know, interpreting and planning a group ride, right? So, you know, coming up with a a game plan, understanding what you're going to do at each point in the group ride could be setting a PR on a short climb, a short section or a long loop, a long loop or right. It's everything about the sort of skills and techniques that go into cycling. So a big part of it is cadence a big part of its muscles that you're using, shifting is enormous. You'd be surprised of how many people don't know how to shift. Holding the power steady, this is another thing. There's a big difference between watts, right, and controlled watts. So, you know, looking at people's watts and their power output and finding the little chinks and understanding and helping them understand Look, like this gets some more control here. You can use different muscle groups. You can use different shifting. Yeah. You know, your power is great, but it's not under control. Having your power under control is key to having success in, in events and, and races and rides. And the last pillar of the of our our program is nutrition. So, um, nutrition is sort of like that you know that thing that like everybody wants, but no one really wants to like put any time into it. And we've experienced or experimented all across the board with nutrition because, number one, that was like a big thing of being a professional cyclist. But number two, you know, that was really like the biggest thing that like a lot of people sucked at that we were working with <laughs> was like nutrition. So it was like, okay, well, you know, how are we going to fix this? So we, we've really been evolving our, our nutrition program, our nutrition pillar of our form program. And Courtney has really spearheaded that. You know, she helped me with my nutrition. Um, and worked with all kinds of good nutritionists, um, finding the best stuff for me. But, you know, we've really had to refine that uh, program. So it fits people's lives. And, and so it's not like some crazy thing that just doesn't work. Right. So, you know, the, our nutrition program is is cool because it's really built around empowering people, teaching them the concepts behind it. Right. And then giving them the, the components to make the right decision. So those components in our, uh, nutrition, um, I guess you could say whatever part or pillar yeah. is purpose, timing, preparation, composition, and portion. So just giving people, you know, the tools, right. To, to execute good nutrition stuff with their workouts, with their training off the bike at work, whatever, instead of carrying around some impossible, you know recipes or whatever that people (laughs) are not going to do right so it's just teaching them the concepts teaching them the timing right helping them with preparation you know helping them understand the composition they need for the work that they're going to do and then the you know the million dollar question how much right no one knows how much so that's that's how we do it
0: wow Okay, you've got it. You've got a uh, again, I'm not kissing up, I swear to god, but you've got a pretty cool perspective on all this. So, um I, I know there are going to be some listeners who are going, "Oh shit. Okay, now what's the next step? How do I find out about this?" And and I I it'd be criminal for not providing something uh, in terms of how to contact you, how to get how to get this whole ball rolling.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I'm super uh you know, personal. So, you know, people can just email me if they want, or, you know, they can, uh, visit our website. So our website's www.cinchcoaching.co. And you can send me an email at info at cinchcycling.com. And, uh, those are the two easy ways to get a hold of us. And, you know, we're a small group. We have probably four or five, I guess we have five people now that, that work here. Um, so we're, we're, but, you know, Courtney and I are, are sort of the, you know, obviously the, the front front and center part of it, but, um, yeah, super personal, love to talk to people, love to help out and, uh, love to be a part of every,
0: everybody's progression right on you know I, I, I before i even begin to conclude this whole thing i do have to say that i i i'm impressed man with your straightforward approach to all this stuff and and especially that you, you you talk about some of the the down parts of your career things that that hit you hard the 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 gut punches i guess we could talk about and and do you still you talked about the fact that you had some people who were giving you shit who were who were riding you on the internet or something like that um do you still bump into that and if so how do you deal with that how do you work around that.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's definitely, you know, the, the truth and everything is, is coming out. And, yeah. and I think, um, you know, people are understanding the situation better. Okay. So, you know, for, for me, I always thought everyone just believed me, right? Like I couldn't understand any of it. Like when you live it, you don't understand why people aren't under why they don't believe you. Like you just don't understand it. Okay. And I didn't, you know, I just like I just didn't understand it. But, you know, what I have what I have moved forward on and what I have learned from it is, you know, number one, you know, people people act like that, um, you know, because, because they have situations of their own. So, you know, you have to be respectful in the sense that, you know, no one's going to like lash out you out at you if they're not like hurting inside at some level. Okay. Um, so there's not really like anything to be accomplished by like lashing back out at people. And Courtney and I have actually done a really good job of this, um, is, is, you know, not speaking back to people and, and recently, and especially since like Phil's podcast and his book, um, You know, people have been like apologizing and saying, "You know, I was one of those people uh, that said something to you. I'm, I'm sorry." And you know, I write them right back and I say, "No problem. Like, you know, I, I you know, is I, I don't hold anything against you. Like, you know, let's go ride sometime." And wow. uh, you know, some of the our biggest uh, opposition on the internet we're actually friends with now, which is cool. You know, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't really care. You know, it hurts when you. You read it, you know, and it, it doesn't make sense.
0: Yeah. But
1: a person's a person, right? Like, I mean, people are cool. And like one of the guys I was like, I just reached out to him. And I was like, I saw I followed him on Twitter. And I was like, dude, you love burritos and dirt bikes. Like, why are we not friends? Like, I love burritos, <laughs> and dirt bikes, too. Like, and you know what? Like, I hate. I hate doping more than you hate doping. Doping's like ruined my life. Like you hate doping, but I really hate doping. Like I can give you 4 million reasons, like really good reasons why I hate doping. Now let's, you know, like you don't have those reasons, you know, like, so let's go back to our burritos and dirt bikes and let's be friends, you know? And the guy was like, cool. So it's like, you know, sometimes it, it just takes that a little bit, right? And, you know, people to have that, other perspective and, and, you know, think about it a little bit, but I will say that, um, I don't regret any of it. I am happy that I went through all of it because, um, it's really made me who I am today. Like if I didn't have that bullshit positive test in 2015, like I wouldn't be in this situation, right. I'd still be racing. I'd still be doing this racing. and, And I love this more than racing, right? Like I love, absolutely love what I'm doing now. And, you know, I still ride my bike. I still ride like a badass. You know, I I love it. I love being around cycling, you know, but now it's like I get to live my dream. And the cool thing is, is I have all this hardcore reality to back it all up. So all the things that I teach good and bad come from experience. So I'm not a bunch of bullshit that's just sitting there and ta- you know resting on science and saying, "Oh, yeah. do this cuz science says it," right? Yeah. Like I've got that and experience, right? I say I can say, "Oh, that didn't work. That didn't work out for me." Or that did work, right? Or I saw this work for this other person. Or, you know, I've had every injury, I've had every mental problem, right? Like I've had I've been on every ethical side of the of of the world, right? Like I yeah. can give advice anywhere. And the cool thing is that, that my whole story is out in the public and is open. I can freely speak about it. Um, so, you know, it was hard at first, but now I have a really cool position. And I'm really enjoying, you know, changing people's lives and moving forward with it. Um, and, and you know, just being the best, uh, best coach and best person, best business owner, best husband, best father, you know, I can be. I love it.
0: Shit, man. You sound like you're in a pretty cool place.
1: Yeah. Thank you.
0: Yeah. No. Um, and thanks for, it It took us a couple shots to try to make this interview happen. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad that, that we got to make it happen. This was, this was a good chat. Thanks, man.
1: Yeah, of course. No, thanks for, for bearing with me. I mean, I'm, I'm, uh, as, or maybe more ambitious than I was with my, with my (laughs) cycling, with my business, you know, like with the cycling, the, you know, the legs or the immune system would give out. Um, (laughs) And with a business, right, like you know, nothing gives out. So, you know, you can go until your brain is just smoking out of your ears and you know you're just you can always be working on it, you can always be pushing on it and, and you know, honestly, like, you know, I I I push all day long and that's kind of what you know, made it difficult for us to connect, but no uh, I appreciate you being patient with me and, and giving me the opportunity to speak on your awesome, awesome show and, and, uh, hope to do more of them in the future.
0: Absolutely. Thanks a lot, man.
1: Cool. Well, thanks a lot, Patrick. appreciate it.
0: So what did I say at the beginning? My opinion here, good guy, great guy has a lot to offer. He seems like he's in a happy place and i would i'd love to ride with the guy he just it just seems like somebody you'd like to go for a ride with have a beer with it was i thought it was a great discussion it was a great time talking to tom tom thanks for coming on the show um i haven't had many repeat guests other than my normal crony friends but uh he's he's one of the guys who i think could talk about a lot of different topics And we could cover different issues once we're past all that introductory stuff that you know I seem to do at the beginning of those shows. So there you are. Our next episode will be a live show, once again, at River City Brewing in Spokane, Washington, November 5th at 5 p.m. If you are in the vicinity, come down, have a beer. Great specials, uh, fun place, and plenty of giveaways that we're going to be having. I've got some stuff from the last show. I've got some Villaminati stuff. I've got some Hedrick Cycles water bottles. And I know I will have some stuff from our friends at noon. So there we go. Next show live. And other guests obviously going to be happening throughout the winter. Cyclists seem to to have a little more time in the winter to come on a podcast and talk to an idiot such as yours truly. Check us out at packfiller.com. All the social media realms. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Rate us on iTunes. I can take it. I'm a big boy.